Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. You are listening to Stephanie Preisner in for Sean on Moncrief today on News Talk. The consumption of audiobooks has exploded in the last few years. I love them. But what are their origins? They go back longer than you might think. And joining me in studio now is Simon Tierney for this week's edition of Stuff That Changed the World. Simon, tell us all about it. Stephanie, um, so you're a fan? I'm a big fan. Well, I'm a big fan, but there are certain books that I will not listen to on audio that I have to read. Okay, so... Like Like I'm not promiscuous in my audiobookery. Yeah, because some people I've noticed, I was just looking at the charts there for like on Audible. I think a lot of people use Audible for listening to non-fiction, whereas they might read their fiction in print is the impression I was getting. Yeah, I think a lot of people listen to self-help motivational stuff on on, on audiobook. Now, my mother listens to everything on audiobook. So, you know, she's just and we share the same Audible account. So her new like Rachel, Rachel, again, Rachel, Marion Key's new book. That's what she's listening to at the moment. Mm. Um, And I can track her progress there. But some people, you know, who commute will listen to everything on audiobook. But I'm very finicky and picky about the voice of who's reading it, the like I have to kind of I'm not going to take a risk and buy an audiobook if I don't know already so what I listen to over and over again is Harry Potter read by Stephen Fry Mythos Heroes and Troy mm. read by Stephen Fry because I'm into Greek mythology but I just really like his voice yeah it's interesting you mentioned the Harry Potter there the, the, because the lengths of audiobooks changes so much whereas in the past you would have multiple cassette tapes now you don't notice the length of an audiobook because it's an mp3 file but like the Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone is eight hours of content to listen to, right? But that's the number. That's the fourth most popular um, audiobook in the world ever. The Harry Philosopher's Potter Stone. and the Philosopher's Stone. Uh, the f- is the Sorcerer the Philosopher's Stone? Stone. Yeah. That's the first one. That's yeah. the shortest book, really. Yeah, there you go. But the fifth most popular book ever in audiobook form is it by Stephen King and that comes in at 44 hours long so. oh wow and I'd say that's really good one to listen to although it's, yeah. that is very long even I read that book um, mm. and I, I just like the first half when they're young I don't really like when they go back to get the clown yeah yeah I so love where do they I start? love my Stephen King but um, well it's it, the, the story of them is interesting because um, the reason I'm looking at at the audiobook today is because the guy who really popularised them and kind of made them into an industry. Um, he died just a few weeks ago at the age of 91. Um, he His name was Duval Hecht. He uh, was working as a broker in Los Angeles in the late 1960s. And he used to get very frustrated on his commute. You mentioned commute, you know, a lot of commuters do use audiobooks, particularly those who are driving a car. And he was frustrated that he didn't that he wasn't able to read books because he was a really passionate avid reader. So what he decided to do was to set up a a company called Books on Tape. Now, there were books in existence at that time, but there were very very few. It was very restricted. And what he did was he took a four-point strategy to to doing this. So he started renting and selling cassettes. Now, the cassette tape was really in its infancy in the late 60s, early 1970s. He hired unknown actors so that they were. it was cheaper to, to get them to narrate the books. Um, he 
often chose books initially, at least that were in the public domain, right? So, so he didn't have to pay for the rights. Didn't have to them. pay for the rights, like Leo Tolstoy's War and Peace, for example, which he recorded at a length of forty-five. Actually, that wasn't forty-five hours. It was much longer than that. But um, Tolstoy's War and Peace was on forty-five cassette tapes. Oh, so wow. if you got, if you bought that or gifted it to someone as a book then you were literally giving them a bag full of cassette tapes that you would keep in your car, you know. Imagine um, playing those, not imagine <clears throat> with not numbering those. Yeah, exactly. But imagine the poor actor who had to voice it. Uh, is your book on audio? No, no. sadly it's not. No, no, I wish it was. Well, I have, I had to record my first book in audio and it was the most tedious thing I've ever had to do to go into a studio and record the book that I had already written that I read and want to have to read again. <laughs> read it like enthusiastically but like then you stumble over a word and you have to go right back it's incredibly draining mm. like my voice was shot I but wonder is it Lord. a good idea for like not with your book but with novelists is it a good idea for people to narrate their own books I think not because they like, often say like plays shouldn't be directed by the playwright you know they should have a different set of eyes on them or whatever you yes know? now mine was a memoir so it's just basically mm. me being like and then this happened and this was my life and whatever and um, but I think with novelists you have to be very careful who you who you choose because it has to be a voice people want to listen to and they have to be able to create characters and then be consistent in those characters like Stephen Fry is amazing in Harry Potter because his Ron Weasley is exactly the same every time Ron comes up and so you know when he switches into the voice but then I listened to another audiobook I can't remember the name of it and there was a man and a woman and every time the man spoke a man's voice would come in even though it might have been in the woman's chapter and it was mm, very very discount, jarring very jarring yeah there's a real art to it and um Duval Hecht recognised this and he was really undeterred by, you know, a lot of publishers were asking him to abridge the books because, you know, you don't want to be carrying around all these tapes in your car. But he insisted on doing unabridged versions of the books. And um, he had a lot of critics, you know, people said that, well, why on earth, you know, this is destroying literature because literature is about the printed word. And he has a great quote. He said, listening is just returning literature to its original form before Gutenberg got into the act. So he really believed in the oral tradition of literature, of storytelling. And that's something as well that he wanted to to propagate. But as I said, um, there were audiobooks in existence before Duval, Duval Hecht came along. And I think in order to really understand where the technology comes from for this, we have to go all the way back to the 1870s, which was a really important decade for communications. 1876, you've got Alexander Graham Bell inventing the telephone. And then one year later... um. Thomas Edison, who was really annoyed that he hadn't invented the telephone, um, he invented the phonograph. And I spoke about this with Sean a few weeks ago because we think of the phonograph as one of the earliest mediums for playing music. But what Edison was actually doing was he was inventing the world's first answering machine because he knew that there was some more greater potential with the telephone. So he actually connected the phonograph to Alexander Graham Bell's telephone so that you could record telephone conversations. But when he came up with this technology, what he did was he wasn't the first person to invent the ability to record sound. This is what people get wrong, I think, sometimes about Edison. That 
capability had already been achieved. What Edison did was that he was the first person that was able to play back recorded sound, which is a really interesting like, way of looking at it. How can you record it? How did people invent uh, like the recording of it without mm. the playback feature? So yeah. then you can't prove that you've recorded it. Well, you can because... <clears throat> The early forms of recording uh, were often done on wax cylinders or kind of tin, like the phonograph, the earliest phonograph was on a tinfoil cylinder. And the vibrations from the voice inflate a diaphragm and on the back of the diaphragm is a pin which literally draws the sound into either the wax or the tinfoil. So you can see the evidence of the recorded sound. Oh, but you just it's just a line. Like, it's, it's almost, not... it's kind of theoretical in a way. Yeah, yeah no, that's not real. So that's not <laughs> I real. I say that's not real. <laughs> no Nobel Prize for you. Um, so Thomas Edison, when he invented the phonograph in 1877, he kind of invented the audiobook, Stephanie. And the reason I say that is because the earliest audiobooks, they could only take a certain amount of content because, you know, uh, it wasn't like an MP3 where you could have a four hour, five hour book on it. Um, so what he did was the first ever piece of recorded sound was Thomas Edison reading Mary Had a Little Lamb. Now, we have a, we have this recording from 1877, which I'm going to play for you in a moment. But it's this is a piece of audio that is very, very old, okay? And it's technology that was in its absolute infancy. So bear that in mind because it's quite hard to hear. But I'm going to read out what he says first because then it's easier for you to to hear what he's saying. He says, Mary had a little lamb. Its fleece was white as snow and everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. Here's Thomas Edison. Sorry, that's an epic fail. I would no more listen to that as an audiobook. What? What's he shout? It sounds like that's he's at one audiobook. end of Crow Park. You just listened to an audiobook. I didn't listen to an audiobook. I listened to a howling That's a nine-second audiobook. I listened to an angry ghost. If only all audiobooks were that long, you could get through so many books every day. Um, Why is it so poor? It's so poor because of the technology, like when someone heard that in 1877, they were like, God, Thomas, you're a genius. That's incredible. They weren't like you where you're going, that's an epic fail. That's terrible. <laughs> so I guess so this was the first time that someone had heard recorded speech. Yeah. Like before uh, that, it was just. Yeah, people you, you people thought it was a miracle. It was a miracle. Yeah. Like a secondhand version of what someone said. Yeah, it was absolutely extraordinary. So that I'm I'm going to argue that that was the world's first um, audio book. Well. <laughs> first podcast as well. Yeah. Um, then everything changes, I suppose, after World War One. And we often talk on this series, Stephanie, about how the two world wars in particular had a profound impact on the advance of technology and that a lot of the wartime technologies then had really useful um, applications during peacetime afterwards. And one of the things that happened is that there was a gentleman by the name of Captain Ian Fraser, an Englishman, and he uh, was fighting at the Battle of the Somme in July of 1916 when he was shot through both of his eyes by a German sniper in the fields of Flanders. And 
that single gunshot robbed him of his ability to see. But he it survived also, that. He survived it, yeah. But it also robbed him of his ability to read. And when he came back after the war, he was in St. Dunstan's, which was one of the famous um, kind of convalescent hospitals for World War One vets. And... Um, he was listening to a gramophone one day and he exclaimed, if only books could talk. And he had the idea of, well, if we can play music on this, why don't we put books on this as well? So he partnered with the RNIB, the Royal National Institute for the Blind in the UK, and they went big on it. They set up a special recording studio in London in 1934. So it took a while to, to get going. And what they did was... Vinyl record. well, they weren't vinyl records, but they came later. But records at that time, I don't know if you've ever seen a gramophone record. They're mm-hmm. really heavy, heavy. really yeah. solid. They're made from shellac, which is basically condensed, crushed insects. And um, it's full of the little grooves, right? But at that time, there was very little space. Uh, like you might get one or two songs and then you had to flip it over and you got one or two more songs. So how do they make those into books with such limited space? Exactly. So what they did was they narrowed the grooves and they played it on a reduced speed so that they were able to get almost 25 minutes on each side. So you had almost an hour's worth of a book with one record. How much were these Which was a lot at that time. Uh, They were given for free. Oh, to the blind. To vets, yeah. So they were given to blind uh, ex-World War One servicemen and women and um, they, they, they were a huge success. So I suppose what I'm trying to say is that when Duval Hecht came along in the late 1960s and 1970s, he didn't invent the audiobook. I feel like you're really taking away from Duval Hecht's like achievements. You're like it was actually Edison. It was actually this blind veteran. I think he, like, he invented an audiobook. No, no, he didn't. In, he, he he didn't invent an audiobook. He expanded upon what an already invented idea. He popularized an idea because there were so few titles available because they were only for the blind community. Okay. So there wasn't the the you know the the global demand that there would be nowadays but like i even remember when i was growing up audiobooks weren't that big a thing like you'd go into hodges figus or waterstones and there'd be like one shelf with like penguin classics yeah, on four cds that you could listen to then i had teddy ruxpin though which was a little teddy bear that had a cassette tape holder in its stomach Imagine like a Teletubby and you got these Teddy Ruxpin tapes and you could put the tape into the stomach and then the bear's mouth would move and he'd Brilliant. read the story too. Yeah, I still have it. It's actually very creepy. There's a couple of texts in here on this. Um, Do you reckon our literacy, literacy rates are going to suffer as an indirect result of things like audiobooks? I don't know anyone under the age of 25 who actually reads books for recreation. Tim, I don't know if they're... Yeah, I think... Um, I, I don't think... Uh anyone who is reading audiobooks is going to be someone who doesn't read as well. I think it's probably unusual just to exclusively read audiobooks. I'm not sure. You say read audiobooks or listen to audiobooks. Or listen to audiobooks. Uh, Roy Dotris, D-O-T-R-I-C-E, did a fantastic audiobook version of Game of Thrones. Well worth checking out. I'd rather be shot in both my eyes. (laughs) Uh, Simon needs to get that audiobook dollar. I would love to hear his sultry tones more often and hear his book, Who Needs Morgan Freeman? (laughs) <laughs> so there you go. Go back to your agents and tell them. Uh, I remember the the uh, just before we go the the best audiobook I ever got was one that was recorded for me, 
And I think these could be the new mixtapes. People don't make mixtapes anymore, Someone right? Someone read a whole book for you. Yeah, when That's I was love. 12 years old, my brother recorded The Island of Adventure by Enid Blyton for my birthday. That was a great gift. How long was it? Oh, God, it was, well, it was a kid, teenagers, but it was probably like four or five hours worth of That's reading. absolutely Full of love. spluttering and coughing and everything. Thank you <laughs> so much, Simon. You are listening to Stephanie Preisner in for Moncrief on the Moncrief Show on News Talk. After the news, we'll be chatting about, chatting about the must-watch TV that's there at the moment. Back in a few minutes. Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again.